What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 175 of This Week in Sports. I just want to correct something I said at the end of the episode. I am now aware, of course, that it is July 2nd, and I spoke of Bobby Bonilla Day as if it was today when it was yesterday, Friday, July 1st, today being Saturday, July 2nd. I've got my days a little bit mixed up and wonky. I was up late last night preparing this episode, so I just wanted to clarify that. I am 100% aware that today is July 2nd, but still, nonetheless, Bobby Bonilla Day is one of the great American treasures of our lifetime. So enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It is Saturday, July 2nd. 2022. And as always, I'm your host, The Pody. What's going on, everybody? It's a beautiful start to July. It is July 1st. Um, weather's like 74. It's it was sunny. It's a little cloudy now. It should be good weather throughout the weekend. I was gonna do the episode yesterday, but I have to admit, I woke up with a bad headache. I had a headache pretty much all day. I was very groggy and tired. And um, I just didn't feel like doing it yesterday. And it gave me some time to binge watch The Terminal List on Amazon Prime. If you haven't heard of it, it just came out this weekend on Friday. I've been waiting for it for some time. It's based off a book series of the same name. It's with starring Chris Pratt, uh, Navy SEAL, ambushed in in um overseas on a mission a government conspiracy he's out for revenge it, it's a really good series eight episodes you can fly through it in, in a couple of days or so um so i really enjoyed that um so yeah i'm back here today and i needed to let it um nba free agency sort of ferment and digest because if i did the episode yesterday i would have missed some signings some big things have gone on and as I sit here to start this episode, something has already occurred. Um, there's already been another signing. So it's just been absolutely insane. I only thought that it was um, appropriate that uh, I start this because this episode is going to be, mind you, this is all NBA free agency. There's just so much going on that I couldn't fit this plus baseball plus you know UFC on tonight. I just couldn't fit everything into one. So I decided, and I don't do this very often, to have a, an episode solely based on one topic, but this is as insane as it's ever going to get with NBA free agency. So without further ado, all aboard. Yes, we are going off the rails. It is an insane, crazy train that we're on. Thanks for that, Ozzy. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, let's jump right in. It's absolutely insane. Okay, so I have to start the first half of this episode and talk strictly about my new, uh, excuse me, Brooklyn Nets for a second because... Being a Nets fan, I'm just going to say it outright. It's been it, it's been a rough ride my whole life, okay? So, for one, I'm I'm from New Jersey, grew up born and raised Central Jersey. Nets were my team. They always, you know, they played at, at the Rack at Rutgers at, at a point in the 70s, I believe. They played in New Jersey my whole childhood growing up, right? And I've been to games and all that good stuff. And then you get to, uh, what was it, 2012, they make the move to Brooklyn. Mikhail Prokhorov, the Russian billionaire, is, is like the new owner of the team. The big signing was Darren Williams at the time. They had made a trade for him. They brought him in. They were able to sell him on Brooklyn. 
and they pay him like a hundred million dollars. Everything is looking amazing because Darren Williams, his Utah Jazz days, my favorite player, well, one of my favorite players. I just loved everything about his game from the time when he was at Illinois, when he went to the um, national championship against eventually losing to North Carolina. And I think that's what really started my disdain for North Carolina because my dad is a North Carolina fan and they beat Illinois and I was just kind of pissed off. So anyway, they moved to Brooklyn in 2012. Yeah, they're going to try and contend with the Knicks who basically owned the market and all the glory from the 90s, right? And in 2013, it seemed like they were really ready to step up and take ownership as kings of New York, really, trading for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. However, we all know what that turned into. It proved to be an absolute albatross, and it set the franchise back many, many years. Uh, famously remember, Paul Pierce came to New York, came to Brooklyn. They beat the Raptors in the first round of the playoffs in, like, Game 7 of that series in Toronto. And I remember Paul Pierce got a block at the finals at, you know, as time expired to win the game, it was a clear foul. And then Paul Pierce is shouting, that's why they brought me here. Yada, yada, yada. Next year, he ends up leaving, going to the wizards and dissing the, the, the franchise. And, and then Kevin Garnett went to Minnesota back there and retired basically. And it was just an absolute albatross. Um, that the Nets, you know, that deal that they made with the Celtics. Um, and of, of course, it came full circle in this year's playoffs when those Celtics consisting of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who, by the way, were acquired thanks in large part to those picks that the Nets handed them in that trade, swept Brooklyn in the first round and eventually went on to lose the NBA Finals to the Golden State Warriors. But listen, because it's the Nets, they're in a big market, they're in Brooklyn. They recovered rather handsomely from that disastrous trade made by Billy King all those years ago back in 2013, right? Sean Marks, a San Antonio disciple, comes in as GM, Australian guy, played in the league, right? And he hits on players in the draft such as Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, before landing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving two of the biggest signings in the franchise's history, moves that finally separated them from the Knicks because, don't forget, the Knicks were supposed to be the landing spot for these two guys, and instead they chose Brooklyn. This finally gave the franchise a little bit of clout that would make them, like I said before, kings of New York. Well, or so we all thought, of course. They gave Durant all this money, of course, to miss the first year as he was still recovering from his Achilles tear from the finals. That's the year that Kyrie refused to play in the bubble, right? The Nets fired Kenny Atkinson. Jacques Vaughn took over. They actually did pretty well. It was a young core. Kyrie didn't play much. They went to the bubble because of COVID in Disney, and they were, I believe, like the seven seed. And Kyrie, because of his stance about COVID and everything, didn't want to go to the bubble, just chose not to go. So the Nets were a very undermanned young team. They end up getting swept by Philly in the playoffs. That's year one. Year two, we saw them bring in Steve Nash as head coach, a former two-time MVP, stud point guard with the Phoenix Suns, never coached an NBA team before, never was an assistant coach. I believe he was merely like a consultant or something with the Golden State Warriors, uh, whatever you want to call it there. I'm really not sure what his role with Golden State was, but still, they tried this with Jason Kidd, never coached before, brought him in as a coach, and that turned out to be a disaster. He was like power hungry. Lawrence Frank was like his coach growing up, brought him onto the staff, and then he just wanted all this power and he forced Lawrence Frank out. It was just a disaster. Then he left, went to Milwaukee, got fired there, was an assistant with the Lakers before becoming head coach of the Mavs. Granted, he's done a, a pretty good job um, and has recovered since, but it usually doesn't typically work out for these first-year guys that have never coached before. So anyway, they bring in Steve Nash as a head coach. It gave me a little bit of excitement because I hadn't heard Steve Nash's name being linked to this job, and then boom, he's the head coach, right? So it's like, all right, you got a big name guy. This is kind of cool. The Nets on paper, absolutely unstoppable, right? But we're unfortunately not just talking about on paper. 
second year, right? Kyrie was MIA for parts of the season, just decided to show up when he wanted to, seen out partying for his birthday or his sister's birthday. Then when he wanted to come back, he'd have to go into quarantine. It was just a mess. But just when you think that uh, it's starting to go smoothly a little bit, the Nets decided to make a trade that looking back on it now, right? Hindsight hindsight is always twenty twenty. Looking back on it now, this was probably the trade, the move, the one singular singularity in space-time that destroyed this franchise. And that was the James Harden trade. Why? Because I believe it was in like December that they decided, uh, or January that they made this trade. They decided to give up Jarrett Allen Karis Le- and Karis LeVert plus a bevy of picks to get James Harden forming what many said was going to be the deadliest big three or had the potential to be the greatest, excuse me, big three in NBA history. Now, remember, this was a James Harden that had just forced his way out of Houston. This was the James Harden that was partying it up at strip clubs and just decided to get really, really fat and not show up and, and to the point where Houston was like, don't even come here. We're just going to find you a trade partner. So, okay, they make the trade for Harden. Everybody figured, okay, now he's back with Kevin Durant. It didn't work out the first time in Oklahoma City, but don't worry, that was Russell Westbrook's fault. That was all Westbrook. These guys were younger then. They're more mature now. They, they just want to win. And that was the whole thing with Harden. He just wanted to go somewhere where he could finally win. He had to get back into shape. But it was a match made in heaven, right? They had a couple of months to get things going before the playoffs. They were a perennial powerhouse now. Kevin Durant was doing his thing when Kyrie Irving played. He was great. Harden started to get it going. They, they, they had a few months to figure it out before the playoffs. Well, unfortunately, injuries to all three, for the most part, saw them play just 10 regular season games together. In those 10 games, they went 8-2. and two. Then you hit the playoffs where they were 5-1 and one before the dominoes fell, right? Kyrie rolled his ankle, I believe, on Giannis's foot. And I believe maybe the very next game, 30 seconds in, Harden pulls up lame on his hammy. Give them a little bit of credit. Kevin Durant, like, put the team on his back. They valiantly fought back. Harden did return for the series. This was round two against Milwaukee, but he wasn't the same. He was not, he, he was, he had to be injured. Um, he was timid. He he was trying his best, dishing it out to Durant. Durant, again, doing his thing. They they fight back. They claw back. They make it to a game seven. And uh, obviously, we all know what happened. They lost in game seven in overtime because, of course, in regulation, Durant's foot was just on the line on a three-pointer that tied the game with under 30 seconds left that could have sent the Nets to uh, the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, instead, Giannis and the Bucks go on to beat the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals, a finals that the Nets, in my opinion, should have been in, a finals the Nets would have definitely won because they would have gotten Kyrie back by then with the ankle injury. Harden would have probably been healed up. Uh, it's just, it's it's a sad state of affairs. Okay, so fast forward to this season. You had Kyrie Irving unable to play because he refused to get vaccinated. And let me be clear on this. Kyrie Irving could have played in most road games with the exception of, I believe, Toronto and of course, MSG, because that's New York. They had the mandate in place there. But the Nets did not want to disrupt chemistry, and they took a hard stance that Kyrie Irving will not play for them until he gets vaccinated or mandates are lifted. Well, that changed midway through December because of injuries and what have you. The Nets changed their stance and said, okay, we're going to bring back Kyrie Irving. We're thin with the roster right now. We have some injuries going on and other things. So we're going to bring you back to play in road games only. All right, good. Things finally looking up, right? We got Harden, you got Durant, and now you're going to get Kyrie back for road games. Eh, wrong. Two months later, James Harden asked for a trade, and the big three as we knew it was 
over 16 games together. That's all there was to it. Oh, my God. Poof. Gone. If you blinked an eye, it's like it never happened. One playoff series win. One first round victory in the playoffs with these three. That's all there was to it. Unbelievable. So the Nets end up trading James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers, and they actually got a nice lofty haul from Philly. Many people said that Philly was out of their minds for making this trade. The Nets in return get a younger Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, very underrated shooter, and Andre Drummond, who's a rebounding machine, plus two first-round draft picks. But like a disease that keeps on spreading, the Nets had no antidote. Simmons didn't play a single game And like I said earlier, the Nets were swept out of the first round. There was this whole back and forth that Simmons was ramping up. He was working out. He was going to be ready at some point in this first round series. Maybe he'd come back at the end of the regular season. That didn't happen. He apparently injures his back and misses the playoffs. Hasn't yet to play for the Nets. They get swept out of the first round. Fast forward again to this week when free agency kicked off and the drama just kept on coming. Kyrie Irving had until Wednesday to opt in to the final year of his four-year deal with the Nets. And rumors start swirling, maybe over the weekend, that Kyrie wanted a trade, possibly to the Lakers to reunite with LeBron, which just makes absolutely no sense because he forced his way out of Cleveland, in part because he didn't want to play anymore with LeBron. But again, I was hopeful because according to all reports, it was going to be near impossible for any team to do this, to make a trade for him. And if they did, it would have to be some sort of sign and trade situation with maybe multiple teams. And then, like I said, he had until Wednesday to to opt in. Well, thankfully on Monday, to my surprise, Kyrie Irving opted into the final year of his deal for $37 million. And I'm thinking all is right in the world. Well, I was wrong again, because on Thursday, Kevin Durant requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, my God. This this is just it's it's total bonkers. It's insane. Durant, who fell on the sword time and time again for Kyrie Irving. Decides this seems almost like like an FU to Kyrie Irving at this point. Like enough is enough. No sooner does Kyrie Irving opt in saying he couldn't leave Durant alone in Brooklyn. Kevin Durant decides to ask for a trade, seemingly leaving Kyrie in Brooklyn by himself. Now, reports are indicating that the relationship soured after Irving opted in. Kevin Durant had no communication with him. There's reports that Durant hadn't had communication with the Brooklyn Nets in in weeks, if not months. This whole situation is an absolute cluster, you know what, and I don't even know how to wrap my head around it. These two superstars, guys, played in just 58 out of a possible 247 games together, including the playoffs. And I said it just before, and they only won one playoff series together. This, without a doubt in my mind, has to go down in NBA history as the most colossal failure of all time, without question. So Durant asked for a trade. Where will he go? Well, the Nets are apparently working with Kevin Durant to try to find a trade partner, although hear this. The Nets have all the power. Kevin Durant is under contract. The Nets are holding Pat. They can wait to find the best deal possible. I still think Durant will get traded, um, but some are saying that because the Nets hold all the cards, they could say, they could go back to Kevin Durant and say, look, we tried, we cannot find a deal that benefits both of us. So what can we do to work this out? We want to make this work with you. 
We have no choice. You really don't have a choice. Let's do something. But that's a pipe dream, in my opinion. Um, here, I just don't see it happening. And I think that in the end, Kevin Durant goes, he wants to go to Phoenix. I think that's the most likely destination. Miami, he has a home in Miami, but new reports are swirling that he doesn't want to play in Miami without uh, a core four of Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, um, Jimmy Butler, and somebody else, whatever. And Kyle Lowry would most certainly be in a deal. Um, and so would Bam if they were going to trade uh, Kevin Durant. But new developments have happened with a trade involving the Utah Jazz and Denver Nuggets, which I'll get into in just a bit. Um, but Phoenix and Miami are the two off the bat that are at the top of this Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Um, and here's what the guys on NBA TV had to say on this situation. It's more about, you know, what the Nets can do. Can they keep Kevin Durant or not to what I was just alluding? But here's what they had to say. Do we at all consider that Kevin Durant could come back to Brooklyn? Is that even remotely possible? I do. Greg, keep in mind, we sit here on July 1. This is the first day of Kevin Durant's four-year extension. So the Brooklyn Nets are under no obligation to trade him unless they get an incredible package. And that is a strategy. I know that Kevin Durant and his camp don't want to hear this, but from a front office perspective, you can set an extremely high, maybe an impossibly high bar and say, if we get this package, we'll do it. Well, the other 29 teams don't deliver a package of that magnitude. And then you go back to Kevin Durant and say, look, we tried. We want you. We have a good team. Let's try to work this out. That's not what KD wants, but I do think that is an option unless somebody blows the Brooklyn Nets away. And I think with this Rudy Gobert package today, the price for KD went up even more. Yeah. So to that point about Rudy, Go the Rudy Gobert trade, um, I will get to that in just a second. Give me one sec here. Okay. So um, basically the, they're, Everybody's going to try and, and be the person that breaks the story on this or, or has all the right answers. Nobody has the right answers as of right now. We don't know what's going to happen. Because I'm a Nets fan and because this is what happens to my teams, I can almost guarantee, no, I will guarantee, Kevin Durant will not be on the Brooklyn Nets next year. I don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie. Yes, he opted in, but could they still somehow work out a sign-and-trade with the Lakers, the most likely destination, and do, get a deal for um, uh, Westbrook, which would just be, in my opinion, disastrous. But um, it, it's just, it, it, it's a, like I said before, a cluster you-know-what. Um, and so back now we could sort of segue into this Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert, Minnesota uh, Timberwolves deal because this has huge implications for Brooklyn in the sense that the Utah Jazz traded Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves and they got one of the most insane hauls in return that I have ever heard of and Rudy Gobert is not Kevin Durant. So you would expect if the Nets make a deal now knowing what they got for Rudy Gobert, the Utah Jazz, the Nets can fleece a team for so much that it's out it's almost impossible for anyone to match this. So let's see. Let's jump in and talk about this Utah Jazz, Minnesota Timberwolves deal. The Utah Jazz sent Rudy Gobert to Minnesota for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, Leandro Bulmaro, uh, number 22 pick in this past June's draft, seven-footer Walker Kessler, and four first round picks. So one, two, three, four, five players, four first round picks. If you add in Walker Kessler, who was a first round pick, that's five first round picks. Utah will acquire unprotected picks in 2023, 2025, and 2027, and a top five protected first uh a top five protected pick in 2029. And guess what? This part blew my mind, and I love looking into NBA free agency and all the things that I learned. This was a deal 
orchestrated by none other than Danny Ainge, who was in his first season or first year as jazz, as the new Jazz CEO. He took over mid-season. What an unbelievable job that he did with this deal. It's unprecedented. It's history-making what he got in return. And by all indications, it suggests that the Utah Jazz are in a full rebuild surrounding, uh, centered on their 25-year-old star in Donovan Mitchell. Okay, so just unbelievable. So what that means for Kevin Durant is that if the Nets are going to trade Kevin Durant, they're going to demand at least what the Utah Jazz got back. So at least five first-round picks, at least, plus a bevy of players. And from what I hear in circles and reports, the Nets are looking for two All-Stars in return and a bevy of picks. So it's just, if I'm the Nets, yes, I would hold Pat and say, Kevin, you're not going anywhere. You're under contract. You play for us or you don't play at all. But that's not the landscape or the world that we live in today. So we'll see what happens. I don't think... The Nets, I'm not going to say full on, it's a it's a total rebuild. I mean, the team is now going to be centered around Ben Simmons. I don't expect Kyrie Irving to be on this team once the season starts. I just don't. Uh, I, I would be shocked um, if they don't trade him before the season. But if he's still on the roster, he's going to pull a Kyrie Irving and just say, I'm going to retire or I'm just not going to show up and play and then force his way out. So. Here's the other thing that the Utah Jazz did, right? So I said basically it's five first-round picks, four players, including Walker Kessler. Here's a move that nobody saw that the Brooklyn Nets and Utah Jazz made even before this deal. If you're not a Jazz or a Nets fan, you might have missed it. They pulled off a trade in which Utah sent Royce O'Neal, a decent middling-type starter, defensive 3-and-D-type guy. They sent him to the Nets for a 2023 first-round pick. Now, the Nets have three picks in next year's draft, and this was likely the worst of the three um, coming from, I think it was Philly and Houston in, in the trade that they made with Karis LeVert and all that stuff. For a player in O'Neal who is going to try to fill the void left behind by Bruce Brown, who has since left in free agency. But it's also a weird deal because it's a deal that would suggest that the Nets are all in on this year, but Kevin Durant wants out. So why would you trade a first round pick? I don't know. I think this came about before Kevin Durant requested a trade, but if that's the case, it's, it's, it's a bad job on the Nets. But again, who were they to think that Kevin Durant was going to request a trade? Well, if reports are correct that he hadn't spoken to the team in weeks or months, <laughs> you might've wanted to check in before you start selling off assets for a, Royce O'Neal. Oh, okay. So, like I said, for Utah now, they have acquired six, essentially six first-round picks in a matter of days. This is a team to watch out for. Yes, they're in a full rebuild, but it shouldn't take that long with these amount of picks. And I'm just absolutely flabbergasted that they were able, that Danny Ainge is even CEO of this team. I had no clue that, I I, I knew he retired into the sunset with, with the Celtics and, and gave the keys to Brad Stevens, but I had no clue that he joined the Jazz midway through the season. Just absolutely shocking. So, with that being said, we've got the Nets out of the way. If you're still processing, I know it's a lot to take in, but we're going to move on and we're going to cover NBA free agency like no other. So like I said, at the start of this show, another deal came through and that was Darius Garland and the Cleveland Cavaliers agreeing to a five-year rookie max extension worth up to $231 million. Oh my God. And there's going to be a lot of 230 plus million dollar contracts or 200 plus million dollar contracts in the rest of this episode it's just it's just absolutely bonkers that's why i started this off with all aboard the crazy train because this truly is a crazy week for nba free agency all right let's start gary payton the second okay yes nba champ gary payton 
broke his elbow against Phoenix in the, uh, was it Phoenix? No, maybe whoever. He broke his elbow in the first round of the playoffs, came back for the NBA finals, helped secure an NBA championship for the Golden State Warriors. He is He has turned that into a three-year, $28 million deal with the Portland Trailblazers. What an amazing story. We all know who Gary Payton, the father was, right? Miami Heat, NBA uh, champ, right? But Gary Payton, the second, went from undrafted to the G League. He spent some time with the Bucs. He finally got his got his chance with the Golden State Warriors. And boom, an NBA champ is finally carving a name for himself separate to that of his father. Um, it's a really great, good story, cool story about perseverance and hard work. And I wish him nothing but the best of luck. Um, he's a great defensive player. He's got sick ups. And I wouldn't mind seeing him in a dunk contest because he is very underrated and underutilized in that category. Okay, Ja Morant and the Grizzlies agreed to a five-year, $193 million designated rookie max extension that could be worth up to $231 million with incentives. Look, I've done a lot of bashing on Ja Morant throughout the weeks, throughout the the months, um, throughout the NBA season. Ja Morant is worth every penny of this deal. Let's not get it twisted. I have no animosity towards John Morant. I just think that if John Morant could garner a jump shot, could learn how to shoot the ball from three and from the foul line, spread your feet out, jaw, bend your knees, do it like Ray Allen, okay? Then he could absolutely be the best player on the planet within the next two to three years easily. So, yes, John Moran is worth every single penny, and there was no doubt that he was not going anywhere. He was not leaving the Grizz. Okay. Piscataway's own Carl Anthony Towns signed a four-year, $214 million Supermax extension with, of course, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And one quick note on the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are now being called the Twin Towers. Towns will move over to the four, and Rudy Gobert will be the five. There are three centers in NBA history that have $200 million contracts, and two of them are on the Minnesota Timberwolves, Towns and Rudy Gobert. The third is uh, Jokic, who I will get to in a bit. The Clippers have locked up their own center and longest tenured player, Ivica Zubats, to a three-year deal worth $33 million. Very solid, hardworking, tough-nosed guy in the middle. Um, I've always been a fan of his. Andre Drummond is leaving the Brooklyn Nets to sign a two-year, $6.6 million deal with the Bulls. The 10-year vet will turn 29 this offseason, former All-Star with the Detroit Pistons. And speaking of the Bulls, this just after they re-signed their prized uh, wing, uh, Zach Levine, to a five-year, $215.2 million deal. The Knicks finally signed the man they were linked to for quite some time in Jalen Brunson. The deal is for four years and $104 million. It seems awfully pricey for a guy that was a second-round pick in 2018 and hadn't really done much until this past season. Look, I'm not saying he's not a good player for the Knicks, but it's the Knicks, and he's not their white whale. He's not the player that is that big splash free agent that is going to bring in other players or or, or bring in um, ticket sales, if you will. But look, I, by no means is he a bad player. He was... Uh, National Player of the Year at Villanova, won, I think, two national championships. His dad is obviously a nine-year NBA vet. Um, and I was doing some backstory on Jalen Brunson. Very interestingly enough, Jalen Brunson was born in the same city as me. thought that was very cool. The same city I went to college in also. Um, and I wish I would have known this earlier, but in doing my research, I would have bet the crap out of this for Jalen Brunson to land with the New York Knicks because his father, Rick, was hired in the offseason as a New York Knicks assistant coach. So 
duh. Of course he's going to go to the Knicks and play for his father. How sick is that? Um, the Knicks were not done there. They also signed Isaiah Hartenstein to a two-year, $16 million deal and are bringing back Mitchell Robinson on a four-year, $60 million extension. The 24-year-old German Hartenstein earned the final roster spot out of training camp last season for the Clippers and had a revelatory year. He averaged 8.3 points and 4.9 rebounds per game. However, while he was on the court, the Clippers outscored opponents by more than 12 points per 100 possessions. Absolutely solid bench player right there. Joe Ingles, he signed with the Bucks on a one-year, $6.5 million deal. This is significant because it does use up their entire taxpayer mid-level exemption, which is one of the few ways it had to fill out its roster as a luxury tax team. By contrast, the Bucks spread its exception amongst three players last year. Excuse me, um, Ingles played for Portland. Last year, he was traded to Portland, but didn't play at all. Tore his ACL, so he's recovering from that. He's a solid Australian um, journeyman type, not journeyman, but played his whole career pretty much with the Utah Jazz. Lefty has a career three-point percentage of, I think, just a tick over 40%, so very solid addition for the Bucks, who also re-signed Bobby Portis to, I think, a four-year, $49 million deal. They're bringing Wes Matthews back and Javon Carter as well. The Orlando Magic have re-signed their center, their young 24-year-old center, Mo Bamba. He's staying put there on a two-year, $21 million deal. Dellen Wright signed a two-year, $16 million deal with the Wizards. Both years are guaranteed. Um, back to the Timberwolves, they added Kyle Anderson on a two-year, $18 million deal, so it seemingly looks like they're going all in. Anderson was, of course, uh, a solid player on the Grizzlies last year and was drafted by the Spurs before that. Kevin Knox signed a two-year, $6 million deal with the Pistons. Marvin Bagley III agreed to a three-year, $37.5 million deal with the Pistons, so he's staying put there. He averaged 9.3 points and 7.2 rebounds in 30 games for the Kings last year before being traded to the Pistons, where he upped his ante a little bit, averaging 14.6 points and 6.8 rebounds, albeit a small sample size of just 18 games, but he turned that into a nice 37.5 milli. Uh, JaVale McGee, the seven-foot center, and veteran signed a three-year, $20.1 million deal with the Mavericks. McGee spent last season with the Suns, where he backed up DeAndre Ayton and averaged 9.2 points, 6.7 rebounds, and 1.1 blocks. Um, the Nets have re-signed a pair of players, including Nick Claxton, on a two-year, $20 million deal. Patty Mills also re-signing with the Nets on a two-year, $14.5 million deal. Former Spurs guard Lonnie Walker IV agreed to a one-year, $6.5 million deal with the Lakers. Former Laker Malik Monk signed a two-year, $19 million deal with the Kings, where he will team back up with his college teammate at Kentucky, De'Aaron Fox. Anthony Simons of the Portland Trailblazers has agreed to a four-year, $100 million deal. The 23-year-old averaged 17.3 points, 2.6 rebounds, and 3.9 assists across 57 games last season, 30 of which were starts. Yusuf Nurkic is also returning to the Blazers on a four-year, $70 million deal. The Rockets are returning their prized young possession in Jay Sean Tate to the tune of a three-year, $22.1 million deal. Tate was set to make just $1.8 million this season, but the team declined his team option so they could sign him to a more lucrative deal. That was very nice of them. Tyus Jones is returning to the Grizzlies on a two-year, $30 million deal. 
Um, very solid backup to John Morant. Started a bunch when he was out. Uh, very good addition there for them to bring him back. Forward Nicholas Batum agreed to a two-year extension worth $22 million to remain with the Clippers. The Clippers also were the team that signed John Wall to a two-year $13.2 million deal. It's going to be interesting to see what Wall can accomplish here in, in, in L.A. with the Clippers. He averaged a tick over 20 points per game two years ago, but didn't play in any games for Houston this past season. In a bit of a surprising move, not necessarily shocking, just based on the amount of money that was dished out, Bradley Beal is staying put in Washington. There was rumors swirling for basically the better part of a year and a half that he was going to get traded. Where could he go? Who wants Bradley Beal? But the Wizards have now locked him up through his age 33 season after he signed a, a massive five-year, $251 million contract extension. Wow. Uh, Beal will make $50 million per year through 2027. Oh my God. Yeah, the Wizards were not done there. They also made a trade with the Nuggets to acquire Monte Morris and Will Barton in exchange for Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith. Monte Morris is actually slated to be the starting point guard at this point in the offseason. Lou Dort re-signed with the Thunder on a five-year, $87.5 million deal. Dort was undrafted out of Arizona State in 2019, but he has become one of the league's best young perimeter defenders. He averaged career highs of 17.2 points and 4.2 rebounds last season. The Heat are bringing back center Dwayne Dedman on a two-year $9 million deal. They also re-signed Victor Oladipo to a one-year $11 million deal. The Raptors re-signed Chris Boucher for three years, $35.25 million. They're also bringing back veteran uh, Thaddeus Young on a two-year deal. P.J. Tucker finalized a three-year deal with the 76ers for $33.2 million, fully guaranteed. This, a guy that used to play overseas in China, won an NBA championship with the Milwaukee Bucks. Just an unbelievable career he's had. Devin Booker and the Suns agreed to a four-year Supermax worth $214 million. Booker is having a good week as it was also announced that he will be the cover athlete for NBA 2K23. Now to the biggest contract, the richest contract in NBA history. The Denver Nuggets have inked their prized possession, their prized center, reigning two-time league MVP, Nikola Jokic, to a five-year extension worth $264 million. Oh, my God. The richest contract in NBA history. The Nuggets then signed Bruce Brown to a two-year $13 million deal. The Kings and the Hawks made a trade that sent Kevin Herter to Sacramento for Mo Harkless, Justin Holiday, and a 2024 first-round draft pick. The Celtics continued to build, this time landing Malcolm Brogdon via a trade with the Pacers. Indiana will receive Daniel Theis, Aaron Nesmith, Nick Stauskas, Malik Fitz, Jawan Morgan, and a 2023 first-round pick. That is a very underrated pick uh, 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 trade there for the uh, Boston Celtics. Everybody is in agreement when they said if the Celtics could just get themselves a point guard, they will be um, even that much greater. And they've got themselves their point guard in Brogdon. The Warriors are bringing back center Kevin Looney, Kevon Looney, excuse me, on a three-year $25.5 million extension. Looney came up big in the playoffs. He uh, upped his averages in both points and rebounds in the playoffs and helped Golden State win another title. The Pelicans are locking in Zion Williamson to a five-year, $231 million extension. And this is scary um, because Zion barely played last year. 
they went to the playoffs. They made it in to the play-in, and Zion was nowhere to be found. He's ballooned in size and weight, and he's becoming a real problem. However, when he's on the court, he averages about 27 points. He's a dyna- as dynamic as it gets, one of the best young players. But is he worth five years and $231 million? I don't think so. But they did bake in, from what I hear, they did bake in some um, parameters, if you will, or, or uh, so... God forbid something happens, they can get out of that deal, I believe. Um, I don't know if I, I mean, I definitely missed some some stuff, uh, some free agent signings, but let me see if, um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. There's some smaller type players there that maybe I missed, but overall, that's NBA free agency. Let me check Woj's Twitter account to see if I missed anything. Let's see. No, Darius Garland, that was the last one. Oh, um, Damian Lee has agreed to a one-year deal with the Phoenix Suns, thereby leaving Golden State. Oh, I don't think I talked about um, Dante DiVincenzo. I think I missed that one. DiVincenzo agreed to a two-year, $9.3 million deal with the Golden State Warriors. So Golden State has lost themselves a whole lot of their core bench type of players. So DiVincenzo is a good addition there. Um, Let's see. Yeah, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. That's pretty much all of the big signings in free agency. It's just been a whirlwind of a week. It's been absolutely crazy. I can't believe it. Um, And basically all that we have left to figure out is what's going to happen with James Harden, what's going to happen with the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Is he going to get traded? What are they going to do? Are the Nets going to stand pat? I don't know. But what an offseason it's been so far. NBA free agency is as entertaining as it gets. And for my sake and my sanity, I really, really pray and hope that the Nets can do something to get themselves out of this hole. I mean, it's fourth and long. There's 10 seconds left. They're on their own 20. We need a miracle. We, I, I don't, I, just just give me a sign. Give me something. If we trade him to, to Phoenix, we need to get a huge haul. I don't see that happening. If we trade him to Miami, we need to get Tyler Hero. We need to get Bam Adebayo, and we need to get five first-round picks. That's what we need to get. Like, it, there's no way possible i see it no no possibility that we can trade kevin durant and it's going to be worth it this man is the franchise all-time leader in points scored and he's been here for not even two and a half years i mean what he has done in a nets uniform is nothing short of miraculous coming back from achilles tear it's just unbelievable i hate to see him go i just don't know what happened i he wanted Kyrie to stay this whole time. The Nets decided to re- like they, they worked it out. Kyrie is staying, and now Durant wants out. I just can't wrap my head around it, but I don't want to beat a dead horse. We'll move on to the final segment on this date in sports history, and it's a good one. It's July, everybody, so that can only mean one thing. It's Bobby Bonilla Day. Every year on July 1st, the Mets pay former player Bobby Bonilla approximately $1.2 million. Bonilla hasn't played since 2001, but the Mets will continue to pay him until 2035 because of a deferred salary arrangement that began in 2011. The Mets signed Bonilla to a four-year contract worth $29 million in 1991, which at the time was the richest contract in team sports. Bonilla was then traded and won a World Series with the Marlins in 1997 before being traded back to the Mets. The Mets then released Bonilla in January of 2000, but were still on the hook for the 5. Uh, excuse me, they were still on the hook for 5.9 million dollars that season. At the time, Mets ownership believed they were going to make, for lack of a better term, a shit ton of money through their investments with now convicted financier Bernie Madoff. So what did Fred Wilpon decide to do? 
he decided to defer payments to Bonilla so that he could use the money to invest in Madoff's notorious Ponzi scheme. Madoff was using funds from new investors to pay profits to earlier investors and was later sent to prison for 150 years, having defrauded thousands of investors out of tens of billions of dollars, which became known as the largest Ponzi scheme in U.S. history. The Mets deferred Bonilla's salary with 8% interest and spread it over 25 years starting in 2011. So Bonilla's $5.9 million swelled to $29.8 million from the year 2000 to the year 2011. Bonilla is still owed almost $16 million, which will take him until he is 72 years old. We've got 13 more years left of Bobby Bonilla Day. And yet nobody in the Mets organization has talked about buying him out early. You'd think with Uncle Steve Cohen in charge, the richest owner in sports, he would just pay him the $16 million and be done with it. But hey, I guess any publicity is good publicity. Am I right? Okay, guys. That was a mouthful of an episode. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. But I think I did a good job. I think I... Nailed it on just about every free agent signing. Hope you learned something. If you have any questions, let me know. Any comments, anything you want me to talk about in next week's episode, anything you think I missed, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, uh, you name it. I'm available. I'm always looking uh, to talk sports with anybody. So hit me up. Um, I've got a tea time tomorrow afternoon with the fam. Uh, I'm looking to kick some. Some you know what? I just got my new TaylorMade Sim 2 Max 3 wood in the mail the other day. Still got the plastic wrapped around it. Haven't even hit a practice shot with it. Thinking I might try to go to the driving range a little bit later and, and try it out. I'm not one that that's great with the uh, fairway woods. I picked it up just because for longer par fives, I do need something that I could hit over about 220. I need something that could go at least 230 to 240. And I think I can do that if I can act actually hit it off the deck, which is something that I've never been consistent with. I'm more of an iron player, but if I can round out my form and I can get it going on the three wood, um, I think I'll be unstoppable. So without further ado, guys, enjoy the weather. Enjoy this July 4th weekend. Um, Yankees are playing right now. There's baseball throughout the weekend. You got the UFC fight tonight with, um, Adesanya, right? Um, and then you've got, of course, Yankees are playing a doubleheader since they were rained out yesterday. They are winning four to two right now. Garrett Cole on the bump. Um, yeah, all-star voting's underway. NBA free agency. Uh, yeah, sports, sports, sports. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the summer, ladies and gentlemen. Happy July. Happy Independence Day this weekend. Go Yankees. It's the Pody signing out from episode 175. I'll see everybody next weekend. Enjoy.